0: Another episode of Good Old Murder. I'm your host, Theo Black, and today we are headed into the foothills of North Carolina, the western part of North Carolina, where we have some crazy things going on with two separate families and a young married couple. This podcast discusses murders from the 19th century and early 20th century, usually before 1920. We try to look at things from a lighter angle though. Not to make fun of victims or those that have been murdered. But it's a lot of times the story around a murder that is more interesting. And the details around a murder are sometimes quite funny. And that's what we try to focus on. Because murder is not funny at all. But we try to stay away from the, the morbid aspect of it. And if that sounds good to you, then hang out for a little while because I think you will love this podcast. Now, if you want to be a part of the community, you want to be a part of the podcast and join a good old tribe, you can always hit us on our socials. We're at good old murder on Twitter and Instagram is good ole, it's not old but ole murder and good old podcast on facebook you can find us on social media you can add us follow us give us a shout out we would love it and appreciate it and if you're listening on uh apple Podcasts, you can leave a five star review and tell us how we're doing and if you're listening on spotify go ahead and follow the show so you'll be notified every single time that we come out with a new episode now, we've got all that out of the way. Who's ready for a story? I know I am. So let's get into it. We're going to go back. Back, 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 back. Way back to the year 1833. Andrew Jackson was the president. David Leroy Swain, was the governor of North Carolina. Keep that name in mind. On August 12th of of 1833, the town of Chicago was incorporated. At that time, the population of Chicago was about 350 people. As I've done my research, Not much happened in 1833. It it seemed like it was uh, just uh, another year, not not too many highlights going on in 1833. So I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, but that's how 1833 was. On December 30th, 1833, Samuel Mudd was born. You want to know who Samuel Mudd is? Samuel Wood was the doctor that fixed John Wilkes Booth's leg when he broke it after assassinating President Lincoln in 1865. He was sentenced to life in prison for his role in the crime, even though he didn't really know who Booth. No, Booth just did what he did. But you know, he was sentenced to life and later pardoned by President Andrew Johnson in 1869. His family pleaded that his record be expunged, but his record was never expunged, so it remained on his record until his death. But now, let's get into our story. We're going to start with a young lady by the name of uh, Frances Stewart. They always called her Frankie, so we'll call her Frankie for the rest of this episode. She was born in 1814 or 1815, somewhere around there in Morganton, North Carolina, which is in Burke County. This area area is located northwest of Charlotte in the Appalachian Mountains. Frankie was described as a mighty little woman. She had fair skin, bright eyes, and was very pretty. She had charm. I never saw a smarter little woman. She could card spin. And... roll out three yards of cotton a day on the big wheel according to Alfred Silver. She was also said to be a good dancer. So I guess she had her dancing skills up too. Her family lived on one side of the mountain and on the other side of the mountain was the Silver family. During that time families would live in big areas and they would just Plot out little homes on the big area that the family owned and and that I have a similar situation in my family on my father's side my great-grandparents lived in it was a big large area like a dirt road that went back up in there and um there, there was a lot of different family members had different homes on this big property and um and I guess I'm in my head, I'm thinking that's something similar to what's going on in this situation where they just had a lot of family that lived together on the same property, but not like right next to each other. But you know, they had different homes spread out on the land. Charlie Silver was the only child of Jacob and Elizabeth Silver. Charlie's mother died giving birth to him, that's why they that's why that's their only child. His father would be married, and Charlie would have many half-brothers and sisters. According to Charlie's brother, Alfred, he was strong and healthy, good-looking and agreeable. He had many friends and everyone liked him. He was basically the life of the party, always laughing and joking and playing musical instruments. He was also known to be a good dancer as well as a good singer, I don't know what kind of dances they did in the um, hills of North Carolina, but he was very good at them. So, you know, he got down, he, he did a little boogie thing. Destiny seemed to bring Frankie and Charlie together. They lived near each other, you know, just on the other side of the mountain. Their families knew each other as well, so naturally they became close. It wasn't like, you know, they were in a big bustling city. They, they probably went to church together she saw Frankie constantly. He saw Frankie constantly, so naturally they started coming together. Charlie was twenty years old at the time and Frankie was nineteen, so they were right around the same age. This was when Frankie took on the last name Silver. They they got married and they settled in a one room cabin in Kanoa, North Carolina. Now during this time, it wasn't a good place for women. They lived in extremely sexist society. It was not uncommon for husbands to kill their wives and have no punishment. Just just think about that for a minute. Just digest that. Like you you your wife get on your nerves and someone kills their wife, and hey, she she shouldn't have been acting like that. That that's the times that she was living in. And I'm sure that a lot of women were worried about. Getting involved with men for that reason. Like he could kill me and get away with it. Charlie and Frankie had a daughter. Her name was Nancy. On December 22nd, Charlie was getting ready to go hunting near Tennessee, near the Tennessee line. There was a storm coming and Frankie wanted to make sure that his wife and child would stay warm while he was gone near Tennessee. So he went outside and chopped down a hickory tree. After chopping down the tree, he split all the wood from the tree and put it all on the porch. This is intensive, back-breaking labor. I'm pretty sure it took him all day just to get all of that together and then stack it all on the porch. And when he was done, this was the dead of winter. He was wet, cold, tired. So he went and laid down in front of the warm fireplace to get some warmth from the fire. Then he took his daughter in his arms and they fell asleep in front of the fireplace. The next day, Charlie's stepmother, Nancy, and her sisters were washing clothes in a wash pot. They looked up and they saw Frankie coming down the hill with her baby. The baby was just over a year old at the time, or if you wanted to say this in mommy language, she was 13 months. She told them that she had been washing and cleaning her cabin all morning. They asked, hey, where's Charlie? Frankie told them that he went up to get some Christmas liquor and he had not returned. Another day went by and still no one heard from Charlie. Frankie took the baby and went to stay with her father, But before she left, she boarded up all the windows and the doors in the cabin. Days kept passing and still no one has heard from Charlie. By this time, his father was getting concerned. He and a few of his friends went up to Tennessee to look for him because that's where he was going to go hunting. While there, they found a fortune teller. She looked into her crystal ball and told them that Charlie was still in the cabin. I didn't know they had crystal balls in 1833, but okay. Other people around the community community was getting suspicious also. A man by the name of Jack Collins was one of the first to suspect the cabin. Accompanied by the sheriff, he and Jack went to Charlie's cabin. They removed the board from the door and entered the cabin. It was spotless. I mean, it was cleaned thoroughly. They did a little snooping and noticed the ashes in the fireplace looked a little greasy. Not like wood. They, they something, something else was burning in that fireplace. Then they removed some of the floor and saw large pools of blood under the floor. They also found teeth and bits of bone in the ashes in the fireplace. They looked at the axe that was in the cabin and it looked dull, like it has been chopping something other than wood. So, while the two, mom, two men were there, Frankie came bursting into the cabin. She started screaming and panicking, going crazy like someone had just killed her husband. The sheriff and Jack tried to console her while she was there. A few days later, the sheriff came out with the dogs, the dogs led him up to a stump where he found some human remains and he put two and two together and he said, Hmm, these might be Charlie's remains. Now you want to know what happened to Charlie? What, where did Charlie go? Well, that night after he, uh, Put all the wood on the porch. Chopped down that big old tree. Cut it all up so they would have firewood. Frankie, for whatever reason, took the axe that he was using to chop the tree down and chopped Charlie. This caused Charlie to jump up because he he just got hit with an axe. And it scared Frankie. So she went and jumped back into the bed and hid up under the covers she stayed under the covers until there was no more sound and then then she said then she came out and noticed that charlie was dead he was dead in front of the fireplace now she had bigger problems she has a dead body in a male society that will have no sympathy for her in her in her cabin what is she going to do So, you know what she did? She spent the night chopping away at Charlie's body, trying to dismember him, and using all that firewood that he just put outside to try to burn his body. Human bodies are not flammable, so this did not go well for her. She kept trying to burn the body, the organs... They they wouldn't burn. That's why she tried to hide them in a stump away from the cabin. So that's why the dogs found the organs in a stump away from the cabin because they just wouldn't burn at all. So that is what happened to Charlie. He was buried in three separate graves. And you wonder why he's buried in three separate graves? Because back then like, they found some of Charlie's body in the fireplace, so they made a grave for that. And then, as they found the organs in other parts of his body, they put them in separate graves instead of disturbing the first. So, he, he's buried in three little graves right next to each other in Kanoa. Frankie, her mother, Barbara Stewart, and her brother, Jackson Blackston were arrested for murder on January ninth, 1832. They were jailed in Morganton. The reason they arrested her mother and brother, because they thought that they had to help Frankie dismember Charlie. There's, there's no way that little woman did it by herself. Frankie was a small woman. She weighed about 90 pounds. So they they just could not wrap their head around her chopping up Charlie and dismembering him by herself so that they knew that she had help and they figured it was her mother and brother. On January 13th, Isaiah Stewart protested that his family was being illegally detained. On January 17th, Barbara and Jackson were let go. Frankie, she remained in jail. On March 17th, 1832, The charges against Barbara and Jackson were formally dropped, but Frankie was indicted for murder. Her trial was later on that month. She just pleaded not guilty at the suggestion of her legal counsel. And, and the question has always been, why didn't she claim self-defense instead of just claiming not guilty? If she would have tried to claim self-defense, maybe it, it she would have had a little better chance. But her counsel suggested that she could say not guilty, so she pleaded not guilty. They believe that... They were just going to make the state prove her guilt. That's That that was the angle they were going for because they felt like the state didn't have any evidence as to what happened in that cabin. This was seen as a flaw in the legal defense because they should have just tried to say it was self-defense, but they took a different route. During that time, though, the accused were not allowed to testify. So with going with not guilty... She, she couldn't even defend herself on the stand but with self-defense you could really elaborate a lot more and probably get her off but I'm thinking lawyers at that time weren't the sharpest tools in the shed they probably had one lawyer in a 100-mile radius of Kanoa because Kanoa is a small community. It's not like a bustling city. So I doubt they had many attorneys in the area. As you already know, this was an all-male jury. On March 29th, 1832, they went to deliberate the case. The next day, they reported that they were deadlocked, 9-3-4 to 3 for acquittal. They also asked to rehear certain witnesses. They wanted to hear certain people tell their story again. While waiting for the witnesses, they were allowed to just sit around and, and talk about the case. Not like today, where they kind of kept juries separated. They were just sitting around, you know, discussing the case with each other. And after hearing the witnesses, they voted unanimously that she was guilty. It said that a lot of testimony was changed while they were just standing around and they believed it again. They believed it the second time. She was sentenced to be hung in July of 1832. Her lawyer filed an appeal on her behalf May 3rd, 1832. The North Carolina Supreme Court denied her appeal in June of 1832. Frankie though She was touched by an angel Before her execution Judge David Swain Who was severely injured While he fell from a horse In a a horsing accident So the whole fall term Was canceled And Frankie's execution Was included in the fall term I don't I'm guessing July Is in the fall term Back then I don't know Crazy thing is, Judge Swain was elected governor after that. So he had the power to pardon Frankie. By this time, Frankie was gaining supporters from all around the states. 34 women from the community signed a petition to set her free. This petition also included seven members of the jury signature also. They all felt Frankie should not be hung. I don't know if they wanted her set free or a life in prison type thing, but they all felt like she shouldn't die for this crime. Governor Swain was having none of it. He would not pardon Frankie. Time was moving quickly and Frankie's execution date was rapidly approaching. Her father Isaiah bribed a jailer and sprung his daughter Frankie out of jail. While in hiding, Frankie cut her hair short and started dressing in male clothing. She even wore a big felt hat. They left Morganton in an old hay wagon. While riding out of town, they were stopped by the sheriff. He was suspicious. Hey, where you going Frankie? He said. Frankie poured out the lowest tone she could muster, and said, "Well, thank you, sir. My name is Tom." Frankie's uncle, who was also in the wagon, said, "Yes, sir. Her name is Tom." I'm gonna just let that let that ride. <laughs> she was on the run for all of eight days, but sure, she was recaptured. She was caught headed towards the Tennessee border. You would think that her attempted escape would ruin her chances and and lessen her support in the community, but it was quite the contrary. The outcry for her pardon grew even louder. By this time, over 90 of the people around were in support of Frankie, particularly the upper crust ladies of Morganton. They even sent letters to the governor himself. And... What it is, is Frankie, uh, I mean, the governor tried to, you know, back his way out of it because someone sent him a letter and he he sent the letter back saying, oh, I got your letter too late to do anything, even though he got the letter in plenty of time to do something. But he was just trying to uh, push the blame somewhere else instead of letting it fall on himself. There are theories as to why Swain wouldn't grant the pardon of Frankie. One is that as a judge, he had a reputation for leniency. He was known for, you know, letting criminals go and not giving as harsh punishment as he should. He wanted to change that as a governor. He also knew that the Silvers... Not even not being rich in wealth, they owned a lot of land around the Appalachian area. The family also held a lot of influence, and if the Silvers wanted her hung, she would hang. In July of 1832, Frankie was hung from a large oak tree that stood on a hill outside of the courthouse in Morganton. Her father had a coffin ready to take her remains back on the other side of the mountain so she could be buried with her people. They never made it though. It was a hot July sunny day and Frankie's 90-pound body began to decay rapidly. They, they were forced to bury her about eight miles outside of Kanoa. Nancy, their daughter, was passed around the family. She went from an aunt to an uncle or a grandmother. She was just passed around the family. She would grow up and wed a gentleman from the South. Unfortunately from her, her husband was killed during the Civil War. She would later wed again to a man by the name of William C. Robinson. They had a son named Commodore Robinson. That's a name for you right there. Commodore Robinson. She settled and lived the rest of her days in Macon County. Macon County is located in western North Carolina near the border of Tennessee and Georgia. Many, many, many miles away from her parents of Charlie and Frankie. Frankie never told why she killed her husband. It's a secret that she took all the way to her grave. And that, my friends, is the story of Charlie and Frankie Silver. That's crazy. Like, I don't know what he did. I don't know if they had an argument that night or if if they had an argument that week and she just felt like she needed to take it out on him then. But she, she took it out on him, whatever happened, and chopped him up with an axe. I don't know how angry you have to be to chop somebody up with an axe, but she got that angry. There was really no reason, but the only two people that really know what happened and why it happened are in their grave, So never really know, really never really get that closure of why she did it or what was her reason or what pushed her to that point. But she got to that point and did what she had to do. If you enjoyed that story, you know how you can help out the podcast. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, you could give us a five-star review. Let us know how we're doing. Follow us on other podcast platforms that you may be listening to. So you know that every single time that we come out with another episode, you will be ready. And next week, Kim will be back in her seat and we will have another episode for you. But always follow us on our socials so you'll know every single time and all the little updates and in-between times. And we can hang out and talk and chat and talk about other murders. You can hit us on Twitter and Instagram at Good Old Murder. O-L-E, Murder. Or, you can hit us on Facebook at Good Old Podcast. I'd like to thank you for hanging out with us this time and lending us your ear. And hope to see you next week, right here, for another great episode. I'm Theo Black, and this is good